This is Songwriter, the podcast of stories and answer songs. My name is Ben Arthur. Today's episode is a combination of the familiar and unfamiliar. I'm thrilled and honored that this is the third appearance of legendary author Joyce Carol Oates on Songwriter. Unlike other appearances, however, Joyce will not be reading a short story today, but instead a poem titled Too Young to Marry, But Not Too Young to Die. And after that, a brand new song written in response by international pop star Katie Meloa, and a discussion about art, poetry, and the ways in which artists can be drawn to the dark side. Here's Joyce discussing the poem and two perspectives on it at a live performance we did together in San Francisco in 2015, organized by Poets and Writers magazine. Well, there are two perspectives. One is that you take the myth and the romance just literally as something that actually might have happened and people are envious in a kind of ludicrous way. I mean, the girls are thinking that they would like to have died with Troy. Well, a lot of women in this audience are thinking, no, we didn't, <laughs> we're really glad we didn't die with someone named Troy, you know. <laughs> the other way is to take the perspective of a kind of cerebral look at the whole phenomenon of adolescence and romance and American, the, the idea of adolescence in America just lasts forever, you know, that people are always sort of adolescent. Well, I think maybe if we did a poll of people in the audience, you probably there's a, there are a number of people who will remember some doomed lovers from long ago, or, or at least you heard about them, people who committed a, a suicide pact or something like that, or he killed her, you know, and killed himself. I mean, just sort of lurid things that have that gloss of, of myth and romance. But real life is the lives that we live. You know, that we're working, we got older, some people have grandchildren, we're teaching and so forth. That we are the real people who, who endure it, and these, these are the mythic lovers. So that there is the mythic and romance, you know, that sort of tremulous aura. But then the poem itself has a certain structure, and the rhymes are a bit ironic. So it's like somebody's drawing back from the material and, and casting a certain light upon it, like an intellectual, a cerebral light upon something that would, could be very sentimental or modern. Then at the end, we, we flash forward and everybody's growing up and they're all on blood thinners. You know, at one point, at one point they had this sort of heatedness of romance, but now they're much older. This is Joyce Carol Oates at a live performance at the Brava Theater Center. Too young to marry, but not too young to die. Drowned together in his car in Lake Chippewa. It was a bright, cold, starry night on Lake Chippewa. Lake Chippewa was a living lake then, though soon afterward it would choke and die. In the bright, cold morning after, we could spy them only through a patch of ice brushed clear of snow. Scarcely three feet below, they were oblivious to us. Together beneath the ice in each other's arms, Jean-Marie's head rested on Troy's shoulder. Their hair had floated up and was frozen. Their eyes were open in the perfect lucidity of death. Calmly they sat upright, not a breath. It was 1967, there were no seatbelts to keep them apart. 
beautiful as mannequins in Slater Brothers' window, faces flawless, not a blemish, yet you could believe they might be breathing for some trick of scintillant light revealed, tiny bubbles in the ice, and emotion like a smile in Jean Marie's perfect face. How far Troy had driven the car onto Lake Chippewa before the ice creaked and cracked and opened like the parting of giant jaws, at least 50 feet. This was a feat, like Troy's seven feet, 3.8 inch high jump. In the briny snow, you could see the car tracks along the shore where in summer sand, we'd sprawl and soak up sun in defiance of skin carcinomas to come. And you could see how deftly he turned the wheel onto the ice at just the right place. And on the ice, you could see how he'd made the tires spin and grab and Jean Marie clutching his hand, oh, oh, oh. The sinking would be silent and slow. Eastern edge of Lake Chippewa, shallower than most of the lake, but deep enough at 12 feet to suck down Mr. Dupie's Chevy. So all that was visible from shore was the gaping ice wound. And then in the starry night, a drop to minus five degrees Fahrenheit and ice freezing over the sunken car. Who would have guessed it of Lake Chippewa? Now in the morning through the swept ice, there's a shocking intimacy just below. With our mittens, we brush away powder snow. With our boots, we kick away ice chunks. Lie flat and stare through the ice, seeing Jean-Marie Shooter and Tracy Dupree as we've never seen them in life. Our breasts steam in Sunday morning light. It will be something we must live with. The couple do not care about our astonishment. Perfect in love and needing no one to applaud as they've been oblivious to our applause at the Herkimer Junior High Prom, where they were crowned queen and king three years before. In Herkimer County, New York, you grew up fast. The body matured, the brain lagged behind. Like the slowest runner on the track team, we'd applaud with affection mistaken for teen mockery. No one wanted to summon help just yet. It was a dreamy silence above ice as below, and the ice a shifting hue, silvery, ghost pale, pale blue, as the sky shifts overhead like a frowning parent. Lake Chippewa was where some of us went ice finching with our grandfathers. Sometimes we skated. Summers there were speedboats, canoes. There'd been drownings in Lake Chippewa we'd heard, but no one of ours. Police, fire truck, ambulance, sirens would rent the air. Strangers would shout at one another. We'd be ordered back off the ice of Lake Chippewa that shone with beauty and onto the littered shore. By harsh daylight made to see, Mr. Dupie's 1963 Chevy hooked like a great doomed fish. All that privacy yanked upward pitiless and streaming icy rivulets. We knew it was wrong to disturb the frozen lovers and make of them mere bodies. Sweet lethal embrace of Lake Chippewa, but no embrace can survive thawing. One of us, Gordy Garrison, would write a song, too young to marry, but not too young to die. Echo of Bill Monroe's, I saw her little footsteps in the snow, which he'd sing with his band, the Raiders, accompanying himself on a little Martin guitar he'd bought from his cousin Art Garrison when Art enlisted in the U.S. Navy. And for a while, it was all you'd hear at Herkimer High where the Raiders played 
for Friday night dances in the gym, but then we graduated and things changed and nothing more came of Gordy's song or of the Raiders. Too Young to Marry But Not Too Young to Die was a headline in the Herkimer Packet. We scissored out the front page article kept for decades in a bedroom drawer. No one ever moves in Herkimer except those who move away and never come back. The clipping is yellowed, deeply creased and beginning to tear. When some of us stare at the photos, our hearts cease beating. Oh, just a beat. It was something we'd learned to live with. There'd been no boy desperate to die with any of us. We'd have accepted probably, yes. Deep breath, shuttered eyes, yes, Troy. Secret kept yellow and creased in the drawer, though if you ask laughingly, we deny it. We see Gordy sometimes with his wife, June, our grandchildren, our friends, hum Gordy's old song to make Gordy blush, a fierce apricot hue, but it seems cruel. We're all on blood thinners now. That was Joyce Carol Oates reading her poem, Too Young to Marry, But Not Too Young to Die. And now, the song written in response. Hello, I'm Katie Melua. I'm a singer-songwriter based in London. And I've been making records uh, since I was 19. I'm now in my 30s. And uh, I'm so proud to still be in the industry and to still be exploring the world of record making. I am an avid reader. I've always been sort of utterly obsessed with books and diving deep inside them and being sent on sort of labyrinthian um, explorations. Writers like Fiona Sampson, Elizabeth Bishop, Anne Carson, T.S. Eliot have all, you know, inspired me in various different ways. And I found a lot of what they've written about to be incredibly helpful when it comes to songwriting. You know, I find songwriting is quite different to the other creative word writing forms because there is this crazy notion that suddenly you could write a hit song and it could, you know, it could be like winning the lottery. And of course that is possible, that can happen, but I find that it that creates a certain atmosphere in the process. And so turning to the more literary writers where there is this huge tradition about how to write and work with words, I find they really have helped me in terms of grounding myself and in terms of finding different ways of exploring my voice and uh, my songwriting. I'm one of those lucky people who made it as an artist very early on. My first record came out when I was 19 and uh, it kind of just catapulted up the European music charts and it meant I was just all over the place. And it just simply meant that I think it just took me a while to sort of understand my routine and to find the discipline that I needed to actually, you know, sit down most days and, you know, work on on the craft itself. It's wonderful because you realise there is more to discover and there there is a, a deeper way of trying to understand your art form and trying to discover yourself. And it doesn't have to be, you know, at one time in your life. 
The way I actually see success is through the idea of sustainability. You know, so am I living a life every day where I am creative and as productive as I can be, and yet am I having moments to relax? You know, and am I able to switch off? You know, I've come to realize if all those boxes are ticked, then I know I'm on a sort of a sustainable path in my art. Our industry does have this like buzzy energy, which I think certain industries have, but we have it particularly in the music industry where it's kind of like people are super excited and people are kind of, you know, are on some kind of other level of, you know, come on, we need to get this done quickly and there's pressure and, you know, and that can suddenly completely wash over all your normal sensibilities and your awareness of your own energy levels. You know, and I definitely learned that the hard way uh, when at 26, I actually suffered from a, a mental breakdown. Um, I recovered from that and I'm very grateful for my recovery and, and how my life went after that. But um, so now that's why I guess to me that sense of sustainability is everything. I think suffering a mental breakdown and a fate and well, I was going to say the word a failure of that nature, but you realize it's not like it's a failure on your part. It's just some things sort of get on top of you. You're no longer able to function. Um, and so I guess, yeah, what I learned most of all was to really pay attention to myself and to my energy um, and to the sort of inner voices. Also to sort of be truthful about what I'm capable of you know, so things like getting on a plane every single week, going from Japan to America to all across Europe for many, many years, that's gonna, you know, catch up with you at some point. You know, one of the things that does fascinate me is digging around inside poetry. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, unlike pop songs, um, they're, they're definitely, they can be a lot more mysterious and they're not as sort of easily accessible as pop songs can be. But I don't know, I kind of like the mystery of them. I also did spend the summer reading Joyce's beautiful memoir called The Lost Landscape. And there was so many notes that I made in it. I found it truly breathtaking. You know, growing up on a New York farm in the 50s. You know, and this idea of places, you know, and landscapes influencing us, you know, and, and you really can't avoid them. I'm actually currently in the process of changing my studio space, you know, because I realized that the way the building is that I work in, the way the streets are laid out, the, the width of the streets, it, all of that seems to come into the work too. You know, it seems to sort of soak into the subconscious. Well, my first reaction was, and it often is this with poetry, is that slight kind of voice of panic going, what does this mean? <laughs> and, uh, but I've learned to love that voice and embrace it and, and know that that's kind of part of the experience. But as I reread it and reread it, I realized there was one feeling in it that I wanted to explore and I wanted the song's atmosphere to explore, which was this, this idea of being a teenager and having a feeling of invincibility. And the other theme that really fascinated in me is this myth of love and how um, 
you know, love is presented in many um, pieces of culture from film to music as, you know, very bold and brave and dramatic and, you know, really passionate. Um, but Joyce puts it so beautifully where she says, um, no boy was desperate to die with any of us. You know, and that, that was wonderful because it was like, well, it's the truth. <laughs> or it can be the truth, you know, you know, you rarely see cavalier levels of, of love and romance, especially amongst teenagers, you know. I think everyone's trying to just survive their own psyches. <laughs> How far Troy driven the car onto Lake Chippewa before the ice creaked and cracked and opened, like the parting of giant jaws at least 50 feet. So the repetition of the line, we deny it, was, was really important to me because, you know, it speaks about this idea of you know, the notion of love and romance or drama in our own lives doesn't quite match the the movies that we see and the, the storylines that we hear in some of the songs. Um, but you kind of, in your own life as a youngster, I did want, want to have like, you know, the craziest romance or the biggest heartbreak. Sometimes in a way just to have material to write songs, which is such a naive concept. You know, this idea that as artists we are attracted to um, we think we should be attracted to the dramatic or the dark. And, you know, I have to say, I have definitely realized that creating that kind of drama in my own life doesn't actually help. I did two versions of this song, and the only difference that I, I actually did on the second version was I took the key down by a semitone. You know what, there is something about keys that I find with the voice, they make such a huge difference. You know, they completely change the character of the voice. They completely change, you know, the atmosphere of the song. You know, this song would not exist if it wasn't for um, Too Young to Marry, but Not Too Young to Die, you know, this Joyce Carol Oates poem. But I also was very aware that the words had to be written for the song. You know, and this it's this idea of thinking of the creation as a design and you are designing a bespoke piece of work for its form. This is Katie Mellowa with her song, Forever Sunlit. Eastern edge of an icy lake They said it wasn't deep enough at the time the place was still living Speedboats when the trees were green Some things will change a scene Like the embrace in the lake he was giving Just say and I'll give the rest of my life for us Make a Deny it. 
down on the icy lake. They said it wasn't deep enough in our hearts. It froze their embrace. Driving to Lake Chippewa, they were kids and still so young. Ain't it strange how the air of them stays? Just say. I'll give the rest of my life for us. Make our love forever, Sunly. But no boy was desperate to die with any of us, and we stargazed. But if you asked, we. That was Katie Mellowa with her song, Forever Sunlit, written in response to a poem by Joyce Carol Oates. For the performance with Joyce in San Francisco, I wrote a song in response to her poem as well. It's called Too Young to Marry. And my newest song is called Persistent Ghosts, about the ways that our understanding of trauma unfolds over time. Both songs are available anywhere that music streams. Special thanks to Rob Reinhardt, who connected me with Katie's folks, and to Katie's team for their excellent help. Thanks also to Kevin Larimer, editor of Poets and Writers magazine, who not only contributed the audio for today's episode, but also arranged the performance in the first place. You can see video of Joyce reading her poem and a variety of artists performing responses at poetsandwriters.org, which I'll link to on today's show page. And that's the last episode of Season 3. But I'll be back with Season 4 in just a few months. If you've enjoyed the episodes you've heard, please mention it to a friend. It makes a big difference. You can also rate, review, and subscribe. And if you want to financially support the artists and the project, you can get a premium subscription on Apple Podcasts. If you have ideas for an episode, please reach out at benarthurmail at gmail. Thanks so much to Acoustic Cafe and Paste Magazine. You can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pastemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. And while you're there, why not check out the Paste Podcast or get it wherever you get yours. Music